Well, in all of the sleepless nights throughout human history, there was one particular night that happened long ago in a land far, far away. And this sleepless night happened to the most powerful man in the world at that time. You would think kings would sleep like babies, but not this night, not this time. And this night, he was trying everything to fall asleep, uh, counting sheep. Uh, They even ordered a new mattress, and it was delivered pronto. They brought it in, and he slept on it. It's still under warranty. He still has 89 days till he has to send it back. These are jokes, people. (laughs) They even tried the noise machines. You know, the one that has the sound of water as it's meeting the shoreline, as it's going through the reeds, as it's going over a rock, as the frogs sit on the banks calling to one another, as the crickets chirp. And some of you are just now starting to fall asleep. Maybe next time they need to record a sermon of mine and and play that back. Now for the easy listening sounds of Pastor Weinkoop. But this night, nothing could bring sleep to the king. This night, there was no answer. He would look at the clock. It was 3.13. And he thought, if I can fall asleep now, I could get a full five hours before I have to go to work, because kings have to go to work at eight as well. And he would pace, he would get up, and he'd walk around for a few minutes, and he'd come back, and he'd look at the clock, and it's now 3.14. And then half an hour later, he would be tossing and turning, he'd look at the clock, and it's now 3.18. You've had those nights. Those nights where sleep eludes you, no matter what you do, you can't fall asleep. And this king, this king's night of sleeplessness began with a prayer. And it was an uninformed, ill-informed, poorly shaped prayer, but it was heartfelt. And it was on behalf of someone, not for his sake, but for someone else. Because as powerful as he is, the most powerful man in the world, this night of sleep was, sleeplessness was brought on by his own actions and the actions of someone else that he desperately wanted to save but could not. The man he had condemned to death, he had just recently promoted to the top official in the land. This man was an old man. He had faithfully served the Babylonians. He had now just been enlisted into the service of the Medes and Persians. He was not a Babylonian. It probably spared his life. He was actually a Hebrew. He was a Jew from Jerusalem. 
And this man, he was a young man when he was brought away from the capital city. He was probably of, a, of royal lineage. He was probably of the royal household. And this young man, 16, 17 years old, when he was brought in exile to Babylon, he excelled in all he did. He was wise. He was talented. He was smart. He, was, he had street smarts. He knew how to he knew what to say and when to say it. He, he knew when to be quiet. He knew how to handle himself in these courts of power that he found himself in. But he also was bold when boldness was needed. And he and his boys, they had made a life for themselves in Babylon. They'd been told to. They'd been told by a, a prophet of God, his name was Jeremiah, and Jeremiah who defied the other prophets who were saying, you know, you'll only be there a few years, two years maximum, and then God's going to bring you back to Jerusalem. And this prophet Jeremiah, though it was really unpopular what he had to say at the time, he said, settle down, get married, build homes. You're going to be there for 70 years. And pray for the peace of the city. Because the way that Babylon goes, you go. If that city prospers, you'll prosper. And Daniel and his three friends who are mentioned in this story of his prospered. They must have taken to heart what Jeremiah says. Though they were not really told. It's implied strongly. They must have taken to heart what Jeremiah said because they did settle down. They did learn the language of the Babylonians. They did demonstrate to the Babylonians that they were smart, well-educated, could work hard for them. And the Babylonians rewarded them and put them at work in an area of government. But they also did not become assimilated to the point that they forgot who they were. They never forgot that they were God's chosen people, that they were the Hebrews, that their homeland was Jerusalem. They never forgot that. And there were a couple of firestorms in their lives that this became crystal clear. One was the fiery furnace. When three men, Daniel's friends, were thrown in for not bending the knee to a false idol. And another is about, another one is going on now. That's why the king can't sleep. In Daniel chapter 6, we read this story. Now, if you don't know where Daniel is, it's in the Old Testament. If you open it right to the middle, you'll find this book called Psalms. <laughs> and then you just flip towards the back few pages, and you'll find Isaiah and Jeremiah and Lamentations and Ezekiel, and then you'll find Daniel. And Daniel chapter 6 gives us the story that I've been recounting to us. And listen to this, the Word of God. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. Huh. power. 
The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Now, it's interesting because I want to just make a couple comments really quickly. There are Christians who wrestle with what should be our stance towards a pagan culture. What should be our stance towards people who think and view life differently? What should be our stance towards a secular government? And these questions are answered for us in the Old Testament especially, and they're also reiterated in the New. But here we see Daniel rising to prominence in the secular pagan government of Babylon and now the Medes and the Persians. Why? It tells us because he was a man of exceptional character. He worked hard. He was a man who distinguished himself. And sometimes we are victims, right? We look around and think, well, if I had just had the right boss, then things would have worked out better for me. If I had just come upon this at the right time and gotten into Amway when there was nobody else selling Amway anywhere in the world, I would have been rich. If I had just gotten the right breaks, but here the scriptures are clear, the breaks that Daniel got were because of who he was. The breaks that Daniel got were because of the exceptional qualities of his character because he distinguished himself. We live in this culture that wants handouts. We've already got the handout. God handed it out when we were born. He gave you your talents and your abilities and your intellect. And your job is to develop those to make the most of it. This past week, I heard a story of a young lady who did not know her whole life until she was 17 years old that she had been born legally blind. Her parents didn't tell her. She went through life uh, with all these other kids who wore glasses. And she just figured everybody else must see the world the way I do, where everything beyond two feet is just fuzzy. This just must be what it's like to be human with glasses. And when she was 17 years old, she went to the eye doctor, and the eye doctor said, what are you going to do? And she's like, I am so looking forward to getting my license. And the eye doctor looked at the mother with just utter shock in his face. And he said, you haven't told her? And they explained to her that she was legally blind. But they had not treated her that way. They taught her how to sail, even though she would never be able to see the shore. They taught her to sail, even though she wouldn't be able to see the other boats and the objects to to avoid. They had taken her out and taught her sailing. They had mainstreamed her throughout school. And she resolved that day when she found out that she was legally blind, that nobody would know that she was legally blind ever. So she went and she uh, distinguished herself. She actually ended up at 27 years old with a job as a consultant where she was regularly meeting new clients and new people and traveling the world, going to businesses to talk about their business and how they could get better. And none of these people knew for two and a half years that she was legally blind. One day she went into the HR director and said, 
I can't do this anymore. I'm legally blind. I need help. It seems to me that many of us who are able-bodied and sighted and many people in our culture who are able-bodied, we want to make excuses instead of leverage what we've got. Daniel here distinguishes himself by using his abilities. You see it throughout this book. It starts in Daniel chapter 1 where you see the quality and character of this man who once he was in college made choices that now are playing out later in life. And he's reaping the rewards of his younger self. Did you know you can pay it forward to yourself? That was free. Let's keep reading. It's all free. (laughs) Who am I kidding? So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now you're starting to go, oh, it's that story. This is a rerun. I've seen this one. Now your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it, can be, it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. And three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. If you like to mark in your Bible, if you like to circle, underline, highlight, you should mark that last phrase, just as he had done before. He didn't change his behavior. And that's important because it's not like us Christians in America where, you know, if Colorado decides, ah, you can't have prayer in schools, and we all go, that's horrible. Let's all run to the school and let's force it in there. We're going to pray. Who are you to tell us? When in reality, nobody was praying at the school before they banned it, except on test days. And that still occurs. Or what if they all of a sudden said, you can't share the gospel in a mall. And all the church people and everybody, even though we don't ever share the gospel in the mall, but we would all be like, ah, you can't tell us what to do. And we'd all just jump in buses and vans and we'd go to malls, even though we hate them because we live in rural America. And we'd show up with clipboards and we'd be like, you can't tell us we can't do this. We're going to do this. Even though we never did it before. So much of the angst and anger in the culture wars, it's just overplayed. It's, here's a culture war, and Daniel just went and did what he'd always done. In fact, that's the reason they picked this thing. They could find nothing else. They said, the only way we're going to get this guy is if we pass a law that he'll be in violation of because he's always doing the opposite the whole scheme of theirs. They're envious. They don't like this Hebrew who's rising to prominence. And so Daniel goes and does what he's always done. Now, to help you out with a little ancient Middle Eastern archaeology or uh, 
architecture. And by the way, there's no pictures of this. <laughs> Instagram didn't exist yet. But from what I can tell, the windows in an upper room in an ancient Near Eastern abode would have been quite high up on the wall. And they wouldn't have had glass and you wouldn't have been able to open and close it. And there would have been maybe some lattice over it to create a little bit of privacy so that the winds could come through. And, and Daniel, maybe remembering what Solomon said when he dedicated the temple in Jerusalem, even though Daniel knew, because he had seen it, that the temple was in rubble, but maybe just remembering what Solomon said, that when your people who see this place call upon your name, you would hear them from heaven. And just maybe perhaps Daniel decided, I'm going to face Jerusalem. It's just going to be a discipline of mine. There's no rule. There's no, God hasn't, you know, thou shalt face this way. And thou shalt do it three times a day. Daniel just had decided, this is what I'm going to do because I'm in Babylon and I need help. And more than that, I need to stay connected to God. And so all these years, a young man in college decided to pray each day three times facing Jerusalem. And he goes and does it again on this day, and they knew they'd gotten him. Now, the interesting thing is, I don't know how you look through a window that's really high up on the wall. Think of it as maybe that thing there is a a window. I mean, how do you position yourself to look? Oh, he's doing it. Check it out. It's happening. You got to try really hard to catch this guy. It's not like he's heard it, and the first thing he did was went on a public street corner. Well, I'm going to show them. I'm faithful to Yahweh. Lord! He did what he'd always done. Didn't make a big spectacle of it. He just did what he always had done. It's it's an act of authenticity. It's an act of integrity. Integrity is just who you are when nobody's looking. Right now, somebody's looking. And he's showing himself to be faithful to pray. So they catch him. Then listen to what they do. Verse 11, that's where I left off. Thank you. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Now, listen to this. Hey, did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? I'm sure the king's like, duh, you guys were, the, it was your idea. Uh, the king answered, this is, sounds a little more king-like, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel who is one of the exiles from Judah. By the way, that's playing the race card right there. He's not a Mede. He's not a Persian. Daniel, that Jew, pays no attention to you. Your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Maybe if I overfeed the lions, then they won't want to eat him. Maybe if I tranquilize them, of course, we haven't invented that yet, but maybe somebody could figure out a way to make them fall asleep. Nobody know that would happen. Maybe if we just leave like a little bitty tiny lion in there, 
And he couldn't come up with any way to change the circumstances that would not undermine his authority as king because it had been decreed and it can't be repealed because part of it is how they thought of government back then. The king was God. God can't be wrong. I want you to enter in this story a different way right now because most of you are seeing a flannel graph or maybe a little children's Bible or some kind of book that you read to your kids about Daniel and the lion's den. And all those lions are friendly lions in those books, right? I mean, I have some pictures of some lions for us to take a look at of this story real quick. You know, when you're little and you get your first, get your first Daniel and the lion's den Bible book, um, there's bones lying around, but those are like dog bones. Those aren't human bones, you know, except for maybe the rib cage is a little disturbing, perhaps. But those are really friendly lions. I mean, there's really nothing to be worried about. Besides, it's well lit. And, and then you have this as you, as you get a little older and you see him chilling with the lions. It's really not that big of a deal. And then as you get a little older, you get a little more realistic perhaps, although he's, he's grabbing one of the lions by the mane and just hanging out. One of the things that all these do incorrectly, though, is they don't show the age of Daniel. This is grandpa in the lion's den. And this next picture, I think, helps us see. And that might be a guy who's even a little too vibrant, perhaps, because he's most likely 83, He's been in Babylon for 66 years. And they throw this 83-year-old man to the lions. <laughs> He's rather feeble at this stage of his life. He's only going to live three more years. He's never going to make it back to Jerusalem. He's going to die as an exile, but it's not this night. And this feeble grandpa figure is in with the lions. Just imagine if we drew that picture for children. Why is grandpa with the lions? That's terrible. That'd be awesome. I, I, I want to make the, precious, the ultimate precious moments Bible someday. And <laughs> the demented precious moments Bible. Actually, it's not demented. It's the Holy Spirit said, that's good Bible, print it. This 83-year-old man is in the lion's den. And what got him there was, was prayer. How often do you not start to pray until you're in the den? You know, one of the things we do is we often, we often wait till the last moment to pray. Oftentimes we just... We just wait until we can't take it anymore, until that lion's just about to chomp us in half. One bite, no big deal. And share us with a buddy or two and just rip us limb to limb. Oh, God, help me, save me. Very few of us have a prayer life that would actually get us in trouble. And that's the kind of prayer life that Daniel had. He was between a prayer and a hard place, and he chose prayer. It's prayer that got him in there. 
In fact, the only prayer in this passage is not prayed by Daniel. I mean, the, the content of it is actually the only prayer that we have the content of is that of King Darius. It's in this next line. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, and listen to the content of his prayer, may your God, whom you serve occasionally, (laughs) sorry, wait, I'm trying to go back and reach into the Hebrew, and it's sometimes difficult to translate on the fly. May your God, whom you serve for an hour or so on Sundays. No, sorry. I'm, i got to work this out and try to figure out what this word in the Hebrew means. May your God, whom you serve... Oh, wait, I got it. Continually rescue you. You see, what the king knew, he had only been Dan- around Daniel for a little less than a year. This is the first year of his reign. They just had conquered Babylon. But he heard stories. Because when you are king and you take over a city, one of the first tasks that kings come up with is my who-to-kill list. In business, we call it the who-to-sack list or who-to-fire list. Uh, and this list, it's, you know, in, in sports, you clear the bench. Get rid of the people that weren't part of your current regime. And back then, you didn't have to fire them and watch them go work for the Chicago Bears. You got to kill them. Because you didn't like enemies. And a good way to get rid of enemies is to make sure they aren't around anymore. And Daniel should have been at the top of this list because the night before they invaded, the night of the invasion, Daniel had had been called by the king. He'd been summoned by Belteshazzar, and there was a bony finger that had written something on the wall. Many, many uh, Tatanka Owachi, roughly translated. Some of you just lost that one there completely. (laughs) And he goes and he translates this, and he says, this very night, king, you will be defeated. And destroyed, and the king and the others laughed at him, and they went and they drank and they partied and they had a good time. And that night, God brought the Medes and the Persians and destroyed them. And Daniel knew it was going to happen. And Daniel didn't make the list of who to kill. In fact, they grabbed this old man, 83 year old man, and said, Hey, this guy knew it was going to happen, and he didn't warn them. I mean, he did, but he didn't like get the, the word out very well. You might want to listen to this guy because he's distinguished himself. He has served a lot of kings for the Babylonians. And they, you know, king, have been successful. It took us a long time to get here and to to be able to defeat Babylon. Let's keep this guy around. And Darius thinks so highly of him, he's going to put him in charge of the entire place. Not only that, it sounds like they're friends. It sounds like the king is so moved by this. May your God, whom you serve continuously, because he has seen this with his own eyes. Is that, is that something that someone could accuse you of? Serving your God continuously? Or do you have a I serve him occasionally, kind of God. 
Do you have a God that, well, when it's convenient for me? Do you have a God that, well, I kind of got him in this box and I pull it out and dust it off every Sunday or every other Sunday or once a month on Sunday? What kind of God do you have? And what kind of relationship and what kind of service do you give to that God? Is it occasional or is it continuous? Would your prayer life get you into trouble? And I love what happens next. It's where we began. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation may not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep at the first light of dawn. The king got up, and he hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near the den, he called out to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually. It's like he wanted to make sure we get that point, the author. Has the God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered. Listen to how he answers. May the king live forever. It's the same answer. It's the same address of authority. It's the same address of respect that the guys who threw Daniel into the lion den, you heard them say every, earlier, Oh, king, may you live forever. And if I was in the lion's den and I had spent a night, a sleepless night with lions, and this was the guy that put me there, <laughs> oh, may you take my place. Right? But Daniel is smarter than me. That's why he's in charge of Persia and Mede, the kingdom. O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. Now that's a highlight film I want to see. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And just in case you're thinking, well, they weren't very hungry lions. These were like nice lions. These are like precious moments lions. The story goes on. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them. Now that's a story that needs to be in kids' books. And crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. Do you feel the rhythm? It's like an African-American preacher here. This is Darius. 
He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. What did Jeremiah tell them to do 66 years before? Pray for the city. I didn't want to just leave you hanging there if you were with us last week. And sadly, we forgot to record that sermon. If you weren't here last week, I want you to know that God wants us praying for this town because the way our schools go goes this place. The way our businesses go goes Ray. The way Ray goes, the way the church goes the way you and I go. And God wants us to pray for the peace and prosperity of this place because if it prospers, we prosper. And here at the end of the story, we see a man who lived that out faithfully for 66 years because when he was in college, he made a choice to pray three times a day. And he continually served his God faithfully for 66 years years. And God saw that and he blessed it and he prospered Daniel. He prospered the Medes and the Persians. He prospered the Babylonians before. He prospered the Jewish people. Their exile began in prayer. And next week we're going to see that it ends in prayer. Do you pray when you're in trouble? Or do you have prayers that would get you into trouble? Let's pray. Troubling prayers, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this kid's story and that it's not just for kids. Thank you that we get to see Grandpa in the lion's den. Many of us won't even live to see 83. And we pray, Father, that we would be shown to be people who continuously serve you. And Lord, in this story, the way that that continual service is shown in Daniel's life, how it is manifest, is in his prayers to you. Make us a praying people. Help us to be people who intentionally go into our room, our upper room, our closet. Help us to be people who assume the pose. We kneel, we bow down, we pray. May we be people that build relationship intentionally with you. And may we pray for those who we find most difficult to be around. Because the way this city, this town goes, we go. Thank you for this picture of faithfulness and help us to be inspired by it. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May you continuously serve 
the Lord by praying faithfully.